Welcome to this second episode in our Livewire series, The Fourth Love. So last time we looked at the first love, which is the fear of God. And I talked about the, the fact that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And in my journey, at least, the beginning of my falling in love with God. It was the first stage, if you like. Um, just to summarize that, to remind you, uh, let me just read from what Jesus said about the woman who kissed his feet and anointed them. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So here's a woman who's poured out love on Jesus because she realizes that she's been forgiven a great deal and what would have happened to her, what her ultimate destiny would have been without him. Those of us who don't realize uh, the danger we were in, those of us who don't fear God will love him less than we could. So that's the first love. Let's begin to start and think about the second love. So after I became a Christian, I told you the story about that last time. Um, about three years later, I backslid. In other words, I went away from God. Um, I would not say that I fell out of love with God, but I wanted to do things that um, God didn't want me to do. And so I separated myself from him and the church and various other things. In fact, I ended up uh, going to a different kind of church, a place called the Hacienda, which was a kind of an infamous uh, infamous nightclub in Manchester. I was one of the first members there and uh, that became my new church. I, I had fellowship there around a different love, a love for music. So what is this second love? Before we talk about that, let's look at this concept of being in love. Uh, when couples are in love, um, quite often they can be pretty annoying because when you first fall in love, it's as though nothing else really matters. I remember when I was first in love with a Foxy Lynn, all I ever thought about was her. I didn't really uh, think about anything else. It was a bit like I was immobilized or hypnotized, if you like. And, you know, when you get couples like that, then they're, they're really um, into each other and almost don't notice what's going on around them, which makes them incredibly unproductive. And if we stayed in that kind of utopia of feeling in love, we would be no use to anybody. And that's why it's not designed to last. It's designed to change and mature into something else. I don't believe God wants us to be in love with him in the same way that couples first fall in love. It's great because it binds them together because all they can think about is each other. But after a while, it becomes a problem. If we had that heady utopia in love feeling with God all the time, the same would happen with us. So let me explain by using a physical metaphor. I love uh, this diagram or this picture, if you like, because I think it summarizes um, how we grow in uh, our faith and also in our love of God. So here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Uh, they're both connected by the same river. The Sea of Galilee, however, is teeming with life. There are, I think it's something like 2,000 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Of course, it's where Jesus went to fish because it was teeming with life. Next door is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is quite the opposite. Hence the name Dead Sea or Red Sea. 
it's dead. There's very little, if any, life within that sea. And yet the same rain falls on both seas and the same river, river um, flows its water into them. So it's the same water. So why is one alive and one dead? Because the Sea of Galilee has water and a river flowing into it and out of it. Whereas the Dead Sea simply has water flowing into it, but there's no outlet. For me, that's a, kind of a metaphor of being in love. We have all these feelings that come in, we're obsessed with each other, but there needs to be a channel. There needs to be something else. And hence, what is the second love? The second love is the love of people. Jesus understood this. So let's look at what he said about it. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So agape, uh, this word for love, is the kind of love uh, where we love because we've been loved. Um, philo love is I love you because together we're good. Um, eros love is I love you because you make me feel good. Agape is I love you because I am already loved. I can feel it flowing through me. Okay, with that in mind, as we think about this concept of being in love and as we prepare to look more closely at the second uh, love, let me direct you towards the worksheet. On the diagram of the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, I'd like you to write these things in. In the Dead Sea, please write down all the ways that God has shown you he loves you in the last month. And in the Sea of Galilee, please write down all the ways you've shown the exact same kind of love to others in the last month. Once you've done that, please share your diagrams with each other if you're watching this live wire in a group. And then we'll look more detailed at the second love. So fear does not inspire me. It just makes me tick boxes. But the love of God inspires me to love people. And so what is the second love? It is the love of people. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because in my book, The Cloud and the Line, I go into great depth about our connection between the love of God and the love of people. But let me read some verses to you just to really emphasize the point. Colossians 1 verse 24, for the sake of his body, which is the church. James 1 verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Matthew 25 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So there we have it, really straightforward. The way Jesus sees our love for him is through our love for others. Now, uh, the amazing thing about God's agape love is it means we will go beyond our fears to love people. Uh, I remember a while back we had, um, where we lived in Manchester, we had um, 
a friend she was a single mother and she had a boyfriend and sometimes he could be a little bit violent and one particular day um, her little boy who's probably around about six years old maybe seven knocked on our door and said please come quickly please come quickly my mum's in trouble and her boyfriend was going crazy now I have a fear of um, blood I don't like blood just to bear that in mind I went next door and the guy was going absolute crazy. And when he saw me, he picked up a machete, a, a large carving knife, and ran towards me with a knife like this. And he stood in front of me, lifted it up, and looked me in the eyes, stopped, stepped back a little bit, put out his arm, and just began to chop into his arm. And it was, it was disgusting. There was just blood um, spraying everywhere. He basically tried to kill himself in front of me. I took the machete off him, stopped him, and grab some bandages. Now you have to understand how much, normally I just faint at the sight of blood, uh, but I was able to put bandages on him, I was able to call the ambulance, I was able to calm him down, and I think the only way I was able to do that, in my opinion, was just a sense of God's love for this man that outweighed my fear of, one, I guess, a machete, and secondly, uh, just this, this blood and goo and horribleness, all the things I hate, um, I was able to overcome that. So that may be a bit of a dramatic example, but the love uh, for Christ, the love of God, will inspire you to do things you normally would not do. Listen to uh, a couple more verses. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a pretty strong verse because it's suggesting that if you, we don't forgive others, then God won't forgive us. Why is that so important to him? simply because our love for Christ is seen by Christ in our love for the body of Christ. In a moment, I want to share with you a video that had a huge impact on my life. But before that, I've already mentioned that I talk about this a lot in The Cloud and the Line, and you may want to go out and get that book if you've not got it already. I just want to read something from that book to you uh, that I hope will be challenging. And so here is the problem Jesus faces. What if we've not been trained to understand that our connection to God is deeply evident in our connection to one another? What if when we fight for our individual rights, we fight against God's plan? What if we think we can break a promise to people without breaking a promise to God? What if our days of prayer and fasting, our dedication to the latest techniques and our commitment to passion are undermined by an ignorance of a principle so very close to the king's heart? What if God will not partner with a group who judges each other for the wrong motives? The spirit of God wrestles with a religion like that. So for a greater explanation of uh, what I believe about this connection, as I said, you can uh, get a hold of the book. But let me just show you a video as well that really, I think, helps perhaps uh, you to at least understand what motivates me. Uh, this is the video that launched uh, a thousand concerts, but specifically it launched Live Aid. It was this iconic news report in the 80s that made Bob Geldof, now Sir Bob Geldof, decide to bring back, uh, bring together Band Aid and then Live Aid. And of course, since Live Aid, we've seen many, many concerts in aid of something. Uh, we've seen it be such a big moment in history that it flipped businesses and celebrities 
and led them to think more about how they could be altruistic, how they could uh, show love, how they could help others. Um, I'm gonna show you the video and then I'm gonna tell you what it did to me personally. In Ethiopia, seven million people are threatened by starvation. Thousands have already died. The famine caused by drought is the worst in living memory and now the rains have failed again for the third year in succession. The relief organizations are doing all they can, but there just isn't enough food to go around. One of the worst hit areas is in the north of the country, where the problem has been complicated by two secessionist wars in Eritrea and Tigray. 40,000 refugees have converged on the town of Coram in the hope of getting some food and medical aid. Our correspondent Michael Burke has been back to Coram after four months and he found the situation far worse. Dawn and as the sun breaks through the piercing chill of night on the plain outside Coram, it lights up a biblical famine, now in the 20th century. This place, say workers here, is the closest thing to hell on earth. Thousands of wasted people are coming here for help. Many find only death. They flood in every day from villages hundreds of miles away, dulled by hunger, driven beyond the point of desperation. 15,000 children here now, suffering, confused, lost. Death is all around. A child or an adult dies every 20 minutes. Coram, an insignificant town, has become a place of grief. So when I first fell in love with God, it was more of a fear of God. I backslid. When I came back uh, to the Lord at the age of about 21, um, first of all, I realized how great God's forgiveness was. And then I remember watching this video and my heart completely breaking and I always remember thinking, you know, I can help people by sending some money, but I want to do something different. I want to not just give people food, I want to change Africa. Now, it's been a long time coming, but um, I knew it had to start somewhere. And what that video did, um, oddly, was motivate me to street preaching. I know that may sound strange, but I saw that as sin. Uh, when I look at that video, what I see is sin. Africa has plenty of resources. Now, the reason Africa um, is not, uh, the lifestyle in Africa is not as good as the West is, is leadership and sin and corruption. So it motivated me to get to the heart of the matter. And I remember starting to go on the streets. I was terrified of doing it, um, but I found somebody who could teach me how to do it. And it was a love of people and a love of God, I think, that got me going and many years later now we're reaching people in Africa. In fact, I was mentioning one of our um, African national directors just a few moments ago and it's amazing to see what's happening over there. So the second love is a love of people. Let's look at our next workshop. So what was your reaction to the video? What does it say to you? And what will you do when you see others in need, either physically or spiritually. It's very straightforward, just take a little bit of time discussing that and then we'll come back and look again at how we operate the second love. So how do we engage with the second love? You know, some people would have watched that video and they would have been moved by it and because they felt their emotions touched, 
they will think that they have compassion. But compassion is not a feeling. Compassion is something you do. Uh, love is a verb and compassion is an action. So how do you show compassion? Uh, let's look at what Jesus did. Matthew 20 verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So there's a physical uh, doing uh, part to compassion, but then there's also the spiritual element as well. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So there you see this compassion has two sides. There's something else about compassion. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. When the Bible says Father of, it's basically saying that the person is the creator of that thing or that, that thing distinguishes them from anybody else. So the Father of compassion means that Christ uh, or God created compassion. He's the father of compassion. He's more compassionate than anybody else and it came from him. But what exactly is compassion? Let me give you a definition. Compassion is the willingness to have one's personal agenda shaped or changed by the needs of others. For instance, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Now that was a time when Jesus was looking for peace and quiet, and, but just as he was, um, people needed him and he responded to them. Next, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on those people. So that led to uh, the feeding of the 4,000. If you think about that, what happened was the love of people that God put in the disciples' hearts meant that they sacrificed the small amount of food that they had and gave it away, not realizing what God was about to do. So we've talked about compassion. Uh, it's an action. But let's talk about uh, how we really engage with the second love in a way that others really can feel. Because there's a difference here between maturity and immaturity. Someone who is immature will only give love the way that they receive it themselves. But somebody who is maturing will be able to understand that different people receive love in different ways and their personal agenda will be shaped and changed by that. In other words, even though they may receive love a certain way, they'll know to give love a different way to different people. So uh, you may have heard of the five love languages. I'm going to go through them briefly and then give you a little uh, uh, chance to find out your love language if you don't already know it. So let's go through them just briefly. Number one, words of affirmation. This is so straightforward. People love to be told nice things about themselves and everybody remembers a compliment. It's not just thinking something nice about somebody, it's saying it. My tip for this is be specific. 
Uh, rather than simply saying, you look nice today, maybe saying your hair looks nice or complimenting somebody on something they're actually wearing. Um, if somebody did something well, rather than just telling them they did it well, tell them what specifically they did that was so good. The more specific a compliment is, the more dynamic and powerful it will be. Secondly, receiving gifts. Not waiting for a special occasion like a birthday, just going out and buying somebody a gift. Or it doesn't have to be expensive because really it's just a visual metaphor for what you're thinking about them and the fact that you are thinking about them. Most of us love to receive gifts, but interestingly, some people would rather have a word of affirmation than a physical gift given to them. Thirdly, acts of service. This is where people serve you. They do things to help you out. Jesus, uh, I think, uh, really operated, of course, in this. You see him serving people constantly. And when you think about what Jesus said, he said, if you love God and if you love me, you will obey me, you will serve me. So acts of service, it seems to me, were, were very important in particular to Jesus. Number four, quality time. So that's undivided attention when we spend a quality, a large amount of time with somebody. Actually, to be honest, it doesn't even have to be a long amount of time as long as there's no other distractions. Um, those who love quality time are probably those who are particularly distressed uh, if you're on the phone while you're talking to them. Now, there are even nuances of this because men and women have different kinds of quality time. Women generally will love just to meet and talk together, whereas men bond by doing things together. So uh, when Lynn shows me love, often it's just by coming with me uh, when I'm doing something, doing something together. She often says to her, you don't have to even talk sometimes. I'm happy just being there. And then fifthly and finally, touch. So touch is important and many people feel particularly close when they're touched. It could be simply just hugging somebody. I remember a, an older lady, a widow in our church, and I went up and hugged her and it made her cry. She said, you have to understand how rarely anybody touches me anymore. So hugs, uh, and of course in a marriage, um, the sexual side is really important, you know? What happens in a bedroom often reflects what's happening in the relationship generally. So touch is key as well. Now, here's one more nuance on this. I'm gonna show you uh, my um, test results for love languages. I'm gonna put them up on the screen now. So I did the test uh, about uh, my family and this is what came up. If you look at the test, what you'll see is physical touch topped my list. However, and this is important, that would not be true of outside of the family. My list would be completely different. You know, if you come and hug me, um, it won't mean an awful lot to me. If my sons do it, it's fantastic. You know, I could loan, I could give my, my sons money and I'd be happy if they just paid me back in hugs and kisses. You know, that does not work for any of my national directors, um, especially Rob Johnson, because I won't get the money back either. Um, but for me personally, it's a different list. And the only way you would know, um, I guess, what my list would be with you would be if you spent time and you were mature enough to want to know what is it that Paul, uh, how Paul would feel love from me. 
So with those things in mind, let's look at our final workshop and hopefully you'll enjoy this. We're simply gonna give you a link to find out your love language if you don't know it already. Uh, sometimes there are options to do this from a, a marriage perspective or from a, a team perspective. And if you can, I would do it from a team perspective. So um, click on the link and spend a little bit of time and then share your results with each other. Uh, a mature person won't simply want to tell people what their love language is. They'll be really interested in what other people's love language is and they'll respond to it. Hopefully this has been helpful. The first love is the fear of God. For me at least, uh, the next stage in falling in love with God was a love for people. And next time we'll look at the third love. Bye.